As we begin our time of study in God's Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you for the blessings of this life, thanking you for the ways that you work in our lives to give us life and breath and everything. And Lord, that ultimately the best gift that you have ever given us is the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for that because as we see, judgment is coming. As we know, judgment is coming upon the wicked. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, remind us of the severity of that judgment today, but not for the sake of despair, not that we might be uh, despairing of our own condition, but that we might be mindful of the fact that judgment is real and that it, it means, it demands that we be faithful in telling others about Jesus Christ. Father, if there is anyone here who has never trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who's never followed Him in the waters of baptism and walked after Him as their Savior and Lord, Lord, I pray that this very hard word would be a word that, yes, brings fear, but also brings faith that they would trust in Jesus Christ and follow after Him. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 31 as we look at a very famous parable, or really it's not a parable, but a, a picture of the final judgment. And I mentioned that we're coming to the end of our study in delighting in the triune God, and we've seen that the whole of our lives is to be an act of worship. We are created for and meant to worship God and to find our delight and our satisfaction in God. We've seen that we've been made to find our delight in God and we cannot find satisfaction and rest until we turn to Him. So there are basically two paths in life. There are two ways to walk in this life. One is that we can walk after God. Seeking His will and finding our meaning and purpose and fulfillment in Him. Or we can walk after Satan, attempting to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in our own sin and rebellion. And as we've already talked about, as we've looked at spiritual warfare over the last three weeks, we know that because of the fall of Adam, everyone is born into that sinful bondage. As Paul puts it, we are all slaves to sin and to Satan. And it is only by God's grace that we are brought out of that bondage and set free to walk after Jesus Christ. But in this sinful world, it's so hard to walk after Christ. The ways of this world seem so delightful to us. It just seems so natural to be self-serving, to seek our own success, to pursue our own passions, to give in to our own lust. And it seems so difficult and unnatural to serve others and to seek the glory of God and to resist the temptations of the flesh. It seems so unrewarding because at least from a heavenly point of view, I mean, from an earthly point of view, the wicked get exactly what they want while the righteous suffer. The wicked indulge in their every desire and then they die. And the righteous resist their desires and they seek the glory of God and then they die too. And worse yet, the wicked are horrible to the righteous. 
The wicked do terrible things to the righteous. They persecute them and abuse them and bully them and make fun of them and and ridicule them for the way that they live. And then those wicked people, they die and they're forgotten and their deeds are never really ultimately judged. Now, while, while that might appear to be the way things really are, that is not the reality of things. The Bible reveals that there will be a final judgment, that there is judgment coming. And in that judgment, God will right every wrong. He will expose every misdeed and the truth will be out. And your sins, my sins, everyone's sins in this world will be exposed for what they really are and they will be judged. God will judge every misdeed of the wicked and He will reward the righteous. So as we close this study in the doctrine of worship, I want to end by looking at this final judgment in two parts. This morning, we'll consider the judgment of the wicked in hell. And next week, we will look at the reward of the righteous in heaven. So to understand both heaven and hell, we're going to work from, for the next two weeks, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. So follow along with me as I read Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. God's Word says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, And he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you you who were blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then also they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. So this morning I want to understand the judgment of the wicked in hell by answering three questions. First of all, what is hell? 
Secondly, why does hell exist? And lastly, who is destined for hell? So before we can answer those questions, though, we need to, I need to make two general points about this passage and the final judgment. And we want to look at verses 31 through 33 to make these two general points. First, it is a popular belief in our society to think that Jesus is kind of this hippie figure, you know, who is all about love and peace and unity. And many in our culture believe that Jesus is only, he only taught to love your neighbor as yourself. And there was nothing else that Jesus taught. And so they love to focus on statements from Jesus, like in Luke chapter 7, where he says, judge not that you'd be not judged. And then they look bewildered at Christians when we start talking about eternal judgment. But the truth is, the true Jesus that is revealed in the gospel preached regularly about judgment and hell. In fact, one could almost argue that that was all that Jesus was really talking about was the judgment that God was bringing on all the world through his ministry, his death and his life and his resurrection. In fact, Jesus talks more about hell than he does about heaven, almost three times more than he talks about heaven. And Jesus talks more about hell than any other author or any other character in the Bible. Central to his teaching on hell is the fact that he, as the Son of God, will be the final judge of this world. In verse 31, Jesus says that the Son of Man, which is Jesus himself, will come in his glory and sit on a throne of judgment at the last day. Now understand, friend, when Jesus came in his first incarnation, he was born in a barn and he was laid in a manger. But when he comes again, he will sit on a great throne of judgment. In his first incarnation, only shepherds and wise men heard about his coming. But in his second coming, he will come with the blast of a trumpet and the shout and the whole earth will see him. In his first incarnation, he came to save those who were lost. But in his second coming, he will judge the living and the dead. And the second point that I want you to understand uh, as we get into this subject of hell is you need to understand that Jesus knows exactly who you are. Notice in verse 31, it says that he will separate all of humanity between sheep and goats. Now, in the Old Testament, sheep represented the chosen people of God. So if you think back to Psalm 23, which begins, the Lord is my what? My shepherd. The whole picture of that psalm is of a shepherd and his sheep. Psalm 95 verse 7 says, We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Also in the Old Testament, goats represented those who were outside of God's people. So one of the, uh, the famous uh, sacrificial practices that the, that the people of Israel practiced was the, the practice of the scapegoat. So they would lay, uh, the priest would lay his hands on a goat and they would lay, uh, symbolically lay the sins of the people on that goat. And then that goat would be put out into the wilderness to ultimately die for the sins of the people. So a goat was a symbol of those who were outside of God's camp, outside of the chosen people of God. 
Right now, in this world, sheep and goats are mingled together. And if you've ever seen or dealt with sheep and goats, you know that when they're mingled together, they can be very hard to tell apart. It can be difficult to tell between uh, certain types of goats and certain types of sheep. But when Jesus comes to judge the world, it says that the sheep and the goats are separated. Friend, you need to understand that Jesus knows exactly who you are. You might be able to mingle with the sheep and look the part, but Jesus, when He comes, will know that you're a goat. He will know exactly who you are. You might be able to put on a good show, play the good Christian, do the church thing, but deep down inside you have no faith. You don't really believe this stuff. You really don't want to walk after God. No one in this room can tell that. No one in this room will know that. But Jesus does. And on the last day, He will call you for what you are. And there will be nowhere that you can hide. In verse 41, Jesus, the great judge, turns to the goats on His left and He pronounces, Depart from Me, you cursed into the eternal fire. So now that we have those two facts in mind about the final judgment, let's get into our questions about hell. First, we have to ask, what is hell? So notice again, verse 41, Jesus calls the place of judgment to which he sends these goats eternal fire. Now there are three different Greek words that are given for hell that our English language translates hell. One is Hades, the other is Gehenna, and the last is Tartaru. So some have read those three different words to be uh, three different levels or places for hell. And while I do think that there are there is grounds for believing that there are different levels of punishment in hell. For example, Jesus says that false teachers will receive a greater punishment. I think that these three Greek words are meant to refer to the same place. So let me explain what each of these words mean or how they're used. First of all, the Greek word Hades is most often used in general terms to refer to the place of the dead. So in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And in verse 23, the rich man describes Hades as a place of unquenchable thirst. In fact, he begs Abraham, who is up in heaven, to drop just a drop of water on his tongue that he might be satiated from the heat and the pain and the thirst that he is enduring. Next, the, the word Gehenna means the Valley of Hinnom. So in Israel, there was a valley called Hinnom, which was just outside of Jerusalem. And it used to be a place where pagan worship happened. But by the time of Jesus' ministry, it was turned into a trash dump. And uh, you can imagine, if, all, if you're taking all your refuse and your dead uh, leftover things and you're piling them up in a valley, uh, then that begins to decompose, and as it decomposes, it starts to burn and smolder. 
And it gets the certain parts of the trash will catch on fire. And so Jesus and the New Testament writers, they use this, this concept of this valley that is always stinking, always smoldering, always on fire to represent hell itself. And the last word that is used is Tartaru. And that's used in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to describe the place to which God had condemned the fallen angels. And Peter describes it as a place of chains and gloomy darkness. So I think you get the picture of what hell is. Hell is a place of eternal torment and anguish. It is a place of darkness. It is a place of outcast. It is a place of pain and misery. It is a place that I think is symbolically compared to fire. That the pain of that place, the only thing we know uh, in our physical realm to explain it, is a place of burning and smoldering pain. Next, we need to ask the question, why does hell exist? And Jesus gives this answer also in verse 41. He says, Hell is the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And again in verse 46, it says that hell is eternal punishment or torment, your translation might say. So hell exists as a place of punishment. Not as a place of separation, I should note. Not as a place that you go when you just really don't like God, but a place of eternal punishment for those who have rebelled against God. Ultimately, hell exists to prove the worthiness and holiness of God. Remember, there are two ways in this life. The way that pursues the glory of God and the way that pursues one's own glory. If all of creation is made to glorify God, and if the highest good in this creation is to glorify God, but there is one part of His creation, in fact, the pinnacle of His creation, humanity, who fails to bring glory to God, what does that rebellion deserve? You see, friend, your little acts of selfishness your refusal to submit to the will of God, your lustful indulgences against the will of God, they are all a slap in the face of the almighty, infinite, holy God of this universe. They are not meaningless and they are not small little deeds. They are acts of rebellion that reverberate into eternity. What we do with our eternal souls matters in eternity. Therefore, the punishment that God has reserved for those deeds is eternal judgment. Finally, we need to ask, who will be sent to hell? Jesus gives us this answer in two parts. First of all, hell was prepared for Satan and his angels. Now you might be thinking, Whew, you might be ripening your brow saying, Whew, I got out of that. It's for Satan and his angels. I'm all good. But let me remind you of something that we've already studied. John chapter 8 verse 44 says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. 
Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 says, You once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Remember, friend, there are two ways. You are either in Christ or you are in Satan. You are either a child of God or you are a child of of Satan. There is no middle ground. You are not an unbiased observer. I know you watched Looney Tunes as a kid and there was that devil on one shoulder and that angel on the other shoulder, but Looney Tunes is not the Bible. And that is not the way things really are. You don't get to decide whether you are in Satan or in Christ. If you are outside of Christ, you are in Satan. You are not sitting on a fence trying to decide something that is this important. You are in Satan or you are in Christ. And if you are, if you are in Satan, you are a slave to Satan and you are doomed to judgment. If Satan will be judged and thrown into hell, then all of his children will be too. Then Jesus makes this What we don't see as a controversial statement, but the Pharisees would have seen this as a a very offensive statement that Jesus makes in verses 42 through 45. Remember, in this scene, Jesus is sitting on this throne of judgment, and before him are all of the nations. And in that group of nations are the Jews. Now, the Jews, they had the law of Moses. They knew what was right, and from an outward appearance, they did what was right. They had extensive programs to feed the poor. They had strict moral codes to judge the evildoer. Yet, when the very Son of God came to them, they rejected Him and they beat Him and they hung Him on a cross to be humiliated before the whole world. Now, in judgment, Jesus looks at these people who thought that they deserved to be sheep And instead, he reveals who they really are. They were goats all along. And he condemns them because they did not care for the least of their brothers. Notice in verse 44, they are shocked by this. And they ask, Lord, when did we not do these things? When did we not feed you? When did we not clothe you? When did we not do these things? You see, they had all the appearances of righteousness, but none of the heart. They didn't recognize Jesus in the least of their brothers, and now Jesus does not recognize them. Friend, salvation is not found in pursuing your own way in this life. Salvation is not found in playing church either. Salvation is found in the way of the cross. Salvation is found in repenting of your sinful desires to glorify yourself and instead turning in faith to Christ as the only one who can save you. The Son of Man who will sit on His throne and judge the world is also the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus lived in complete obedience to God giving God the glory that we should have given to Him. And Jesus died so that you could be forgiven for the rebellion that you have carried out against this infinitely holy God. Judgment is coming. 
And it will be decisive and it will be clear. No sin will be hidden. Jesus will expose you for who you really are. Your only hope of escape is in the grace of Jesus Christ. Won't you turn in faith to Him today? Brothers and sisters, hell is real, hell is real and it's hot. Our neighbors, our friends, and our family members will go there unless they hear of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. The horribleness of hell should shake us to action because we want to see people escape this terrible judgment. It should motivate us to give to support missions. It should embolden us to tell others about Jesus. May we go boldly into this next week, fearful for our neighbors and ready to tell them of the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Word, even though it is a hard word, that You, through Your Son, will judge the world. Lord, we know that judgment is needed. All we've got to do is turn on the news to see that this world is not right and that it needs to be set right. There are so many things that are done against people, so many crimes that go unsolved or unpunished, so many punishments that don't fit the crime. Lord, we know that judgment is needed in our world. But we know that if judgment were to come and we were without a Savior, we would fall under that same condemnation and judgment. So, Lord, we ask that you would turn us to Christ. Lord, that you would remind us of the hope that is in Christ alone. And that through our faith in Christ, we might be bold in going out and telling others of the coming judgment and the need to turn to Him in faith. Father, bless us now as we observe the Lord's Supper. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. The great hope.